1 Corinthians chapter 16. Nothing will be up on the screen for this right now, but I'd like you to see it in your own Bible. By the way, I encourage you to mark your Bible. I love marking my Bible. The Bible that I have right now that I'm preaching from happens to be my dad's Bible. Dad lived to be just a month shy of 95 years old. He loved the Lord, was always an elder in the churches or the church where we uh, attended uh, when I was growing up. And I love running across his markings, and I make my own. And there's something about highlighting or making a jot in the side that is an encouragement to you every time you go back and, and look at it. And who knows, gentlemen out there and ladies, that maybe someday one of your daughters or sons might have your Bible. And they might read some of the things that you wrote in it that were an encouragement to them, that will help them in their journey with Christ. You follow as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gifts to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Let's pray together, and as we pray, I want to draw your attention to the white rose on the uh, little stand there and tell you that that stands for uh, a gentleman at the, uh, the jail who a week and a half ago prayed to receive Christ. His name is Herberto, Herberto, and it was my joy to be able to be there when he did that and to see the joy on his face and uh, to have the other guys, probably 12 of them, clap as he prayed to receive Christ. And Roberto is a, is a son of God, a child of God, and we're so thankful for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for redeeming uh, those of us who are here who know you as our Savior and Lord. Thank you that you knew us before we knew you. You loved us before we loved you. And we're just so grateful that you are still at work, even in some of the most difficult places uh, in our town and in the world where people have uh, really kind of messed up their lives and are in difficult situations. And I, I thank you so much that Herberto uh, came to know you and pray that you would continue to, to watch over him and guide him in his days ahead and in his walk with you. Uh, help us now as we look at your word. We know that we can't understand it if we don't have the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit. And so pray, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would open our minds and our hearts and, and help us to understand and apply and act out those things that you give to us in your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the story of the African-American preacher who was really trying to motivate his congregation to step it up and to live at a higher plane. And he, he just figured that he had his sermon all figured out and he was going to say something that was really going to motivate him. So he got into it and he said, this church, like the crippled man, has got to get up and walk. And the congregation 
responded to him, that's right, that's right, preacher, get up and walk, get up and walk. And then he said, this church, like Elijah, has got to run around Mark Carmel. And the church said, let it run, let it run. And then he said, and this church has got to mount up with wings, Mount up with wings like eagles and fly. And they said, preacher, let it fly, let it fly. And he said, if you're going to fly, it's going to take money. It's going to take money. And together they said, let it walk, let it walk. (laughs) Well, I want to read to you just a little excerpt from an article that's called They're Already Talking About Money, written by a Christian author who says this, a study commissioned by Smart Money Magazine and Facebook found that more than 70% of couples talk to their partner about money at least once a week. The title of his article is They're Already Talking About Money. He is, excuse me, I recently completed a review of a pastor that showed a spike in his church giving Every time he talked about money, he is someone who is incredibly uncomfortable talking about the subject. Honestly, it stressed him out. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, what is more important, staying within our comfort zone or engaging people with an issue, I love this, engaging people with an issue that is central to doing life as a Christ follower? Money is important. The question is, if so many couples and singles are already talking about the subject of money, why is the church so silent? Why is it that in many churches, preachers are afraid to talk about money? Maybe one of the reasons is that 37% of people in Protestant churches across America give no money at all to the church. Let me tell you the background of this story or this letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He is collecting money as he goes around to the different churches that he has founded and started, and he is uh, helping them by helping them learn how to give to the church in Jerusalem that was afflicted with severe famine. And so as Paul would go to churches in Galatia and Corinth and Macedonia and other places, he would collect money. And he would always have somebody else that was helping him as he would take it back to Jerusalem and help them in their particularly difficult time financially and in severe famine. I I discovered five very uh, important abiding principles in this passage that I want to share with you this morning. The first one is that giving is spiritual. Giving is spiritual. Giving is not just an issue of the pocketbook. It's an issue of the heart. That's where it all starts. I want you to notice the context of this particular teaching in chapter 16. Back up with me into 1 Corinthians 15, and let me read for you verse 58. 
Therefore, he says, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If you know anything about the 15th chapter of the book of Corinthians, it's all about the resurrection. And Paul in that chapter has his head in the heavens, but he has his feet on the ground. Just as he's listening for the, the, the blast of the trumpets in heaven, calling the saints together as Jesus returns, he jumps from there right into this very practical issue of giving. His heart is in heaven, but his feet are on the ground. Paul is no armchair theologian. Giving is one good measure of our faithfulness. Giving is a spiritual issue. If your theology doesn't touch your pocketbook, it's bad theology. True giving flows out of the atmosphere of a person's life. It, it flows out of trust in the Lord. It flows out of delighting in the Lord. It flows out of loving other people. It flows out of loving your church. It flows out of wanting to help others. Giving is a spiritual issue. If giving stops, missionaries would have to pack their bags and come back home. If giving stopped, churches would have to close their doors. Parachurch ministries like Navigators and uh, Youth for Christ and Campus Crusade and InterVarsity would have to just shut down. And if we stopped giving, we would miss one of the greatest blessings in life as a child of God. Giving is a spiritual issue. Secondly, giving is to be systematic. Notice in verse 2 of chapter 16, where Paul says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. I can remember when I was growing up as a kid. I was born in 1945, so that really dates me with a lot of you, I know. But I remember my mom and dad and I don't know how much they set aside. I mean, I'm sure they set aside a tithe because that's what they taught me to do. But I remember them, every time Dad would get a paycheck, they'd put it into cash and they would, they, they had boxes that they would put, put money in. I don't know whether they were pigeonholes or whatever, but I just knew that, know that this is the way they did it. And they had a box for mom for groceries and for household expenses and those kinds of things. And they had a box that was a separate box for giving. And I, I, just, I just know because of the, the lifestyle of my mom and dad and because of the way they lived and because of their heart for ministry, I just, I just know that they tithed and gave more than a tithe of their income to the work of the Lord. G giving is to be systematic. Paul talks about setting aside a sum of money. Giving is not an afterthought. Giving is not just a response to an emotional appeal. appeal. Giving is not hit or miss. Giving is not just being a dollar dumper where you put in a dollar every time the offering plate goes by. 
The wording that Paul uses in this passage suggests regular, thoughtful, strategic, careful planning of your personal or of your family budget. If you get paid weekly, give weekly. If you get paid monthly, maybe give monthly. I'm not saying exactly how you should do it. I'm not telling you whether you should put it in the offering plate or put it in the, uh, the box out there or do it online. I know for me, part of the time, it really is helpful for me to know that I'm putting the offering into the offering plate. We've kind of gotten into the habit of doing it online. But, but think about it. Plan it. Anybody here ever built a house? When you build a house, you decide where the windows are going to be, where the doors are going to be. You decide how you're going to set out the kitchen and the living room and how many bedrooms you're going to have. There's strategic planning that goes into those kinds of important issues in life. You look where the windows are going to be so that you'll get some sunlight during the day. When you're planning your regular budget, keep God's work close to your heart. Giving is to be systematic. People who just give a dollar here or a $10 bill there, who don't keep track of what they give, usually think that they give more than they really do. So be systematic about it so that at the end of the year you know how much you gave and you know how big your heart is in your giving. Thirdly, giving is to be proportionate. Proportionate. Look at the phrase in verse 2 that says each one of you. Not just the wealthy, not just people who are church members, not just adults, not just church leaders, everyone. Each one of you. Teens, teenagers, start thinking now about giving. Uh, the most important thing in life for you when you get to be 17 or 18 is not getting a new car. The most important thing for you to start thinking about now is how are you going to cultivate giving as a habit, as a spiritual habit, as a part of something that you do every week, every month. Parents, teach your children. I find it interesting that I have, uh, over the years, had some uh, Roman Catholic friends who have done a better job of teaching their children to be givers than we in the Protestant church have. I found that very interesting. It's not out of guilt. It's not just out of emotion. It's out of heart. Notice also in verse 2, he says, in keeping with his income in keeping with his income. There's a passage that uh, you're going to see on the screen that I want to read for you from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. Here again, in his second letter to the church in Corinth, Paul um, talks about this whole issue of giving, and he hits on this issue of being, it being proportionate. Look at what it says. Now finish the work, he's urging them to keep doing what they're doing, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. 
For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Paul's not asking you to give. The Bible's not asking you to give out of what you don't have. He's not asking you to give $100 a month uh, or $1,000 a month like maybe the guy or gal next to you is capable of giving. He wants you to think about what you, what you earn, what you have, what you're able to give, and to give that, that first tenth of it to the Lord. All through the Old Testament, there was the idea of giving. It was a very agricultural community. So there was the idea of giving the first fruits to the, to the Lord. The first part of the harvest would be given as an offering to the Lord. The Levites, who were the pastors, the priests of the Old Testament temple and tabernacle, they would receive gifts that enabled them to continue to live. And it came out of the first fruits. God doesn't expect you to give exactly in the way that the person sitting next to you does. The the widow in the Bible, who gave her might, it says she gave all she had. And, and Jesus was watching what was going on. That's the amazing thing. Everybody else came along, some of them rich Pharisees and all that kind of, and they dropped in their big coins and whatever did the clanking, and this poor little lady dropped in Less than a penny. But it's all she had. He gave, she gave from her heart. Some people would say, well, I don't believe in tithing anymore. That's an Old Testament thing. That's, that's way back when. Well, let me just say that Jesus never, never thought about tithing as being out of date. He did say that he challenged the Pharisees for tithing their mint and their cumin, these spices, but neglecting the weightier things of the law. But he did not abolish the tithe. All throughout the Old Testament, the tithe, the tenth of a person's income, was, was thought to be the baseline of giving. My, my question to you is, if in the Old Testament, the tithe was baseline. And if you count up the different kinds of offerings, grain offerings and whatever in the Old Testament, it was more like 23% of their income. If you, if you think about it, if they were willing to give a baseline of tithing in the Old Testament with the law, which never came from the law, it came from Abraham, Abraham was the first one to give the tenth. It's not even mentioned in the Ten Commandments. If if they gave a tenth, and you and I live under the law of grace, having received the great gift of sacrifice that Jesus gave to us, how can we give any less? But that's the case. That's the case. I, uh, 
I liked listening to uh, one of the guys that uh, does a commentary every morning on uh, the Word Christian Radio. And just, just to read a short excerpt of what he says, this is Eric Metaxas uh, working for the uh, uh, Chuck Colson uh, foundation or ministry. Too many of us, he says, and this includes Christians, have bought into the lie that the pursuit of happiness necessarily includes the pursuit of stuff. We are all accumulating mountains of things, says Mark A. Cohen, director of retail studies at Columbia University's Graduate School of Business. America, Americans have become a society of hoarders. And in this time of material abundance, a lot of worthy churches and ministries face a chronic shortage of funds. Why is that? According to nonprofitsource.com, Christians today give only 2.5% of their income. During the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. The average giving by adults who attend Protestant churches in America is about $17 a week. And 37% of regular church attendees and evangelicals don't give any money to the church. Some people say, well, should I give from my gross or from my net income? And my response to that has always been, who should get the first cut? Uncle Sam? Our Father God. You say it's awful. I have an awful time figuring out what I make. I mean, I have expenses. I have, oh, I just have all kinds of things. I can, at the end of the year, I can make it look like I've not earned a penny throughout the whole year on my income tax. Really? Well, my question would be, what is your standard of living? Do you have money to do things that you want to do? And will you determine in your heart to be generous with the Lord and with his work? The bottom line is not how much I keep. The bottom line is how much can I give away? Randy Alcorn says it this way. The act of giving is a vivid reminder that our life is all about God. God's money has a higher purpose than my affluence. Giving is a joyful surrender to a greater person, capital P, and a greater agenda. Number four, giving is voluntary. Notice verse 3, Paul says, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. When I come, no collections will be. Paul did not want to come to Corinth and be perceived as someone who is pressuring them to give. Don't respond to gimmicks. Don't respond to to, to guilt. Don't respond to pressure. Giving is to be prompted from within not pressured from without. 
In Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 and 2, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You were to receive the offering from me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. Notice Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 34. All the believers who were in one in heart and mind, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Read it with me, will you? You have it in front of you. Let's read it together. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I looked up that word cheerful and discovered in the original language it has to do more with the idea of hilarious. God loves the hilarious giver. I'm telling you, giving is a joy. Giving is a joy. Hoarding is a pain in the neck. What's the last, when's the last time you moved and had to throw away all your junk? It's amazing, it's amazing how things that we bought 10 years ago, 10 years ago, some seemed like just, oh, got to have that, got to have that. You go to move and it's like, what in the world? What was I thinking when I bought that stupid thing? Prior to, his, to this in 1 Corinthians, what he says here earlier on, he, he makes the, talks to the Macedonian, or talks about the Macedonian churches and how they're how their giving and their liberal giving was the result of uh, giving themselves. I love this cartoon. Do you get the point? In the name of the Father, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and the guy that's being baptized, everything's under the water except his wallet. If your wallet's not under the water, God doesn't have all of you. Are, are you okay out there? Are, are you okay? Um, let me just say this. If I've stepped on your toes, it ain't me. It's the Holy Spirit. Giving is a heart experience. It's not just an exercise of the pocketbook. Can I, oh. Sometimes as a preacher, you, 
um, when you're in the pulpit, there, there are times when you get to a point where you think, should I say this or shouldn't I? <laughs> we started attending here in, um, I think, February, maybe late January. What's it, what was it? April. I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you. Um, does your wife keep you on track? Where would we be without them? We, we came here, uh, the first time we came here, we looked at each other in the middle of Joel's sermon and... and uh, we just kind of gave each other that nod. Do, do you all, as couples, you have the look, you know? And it was, this is the place. Don't need to look any further. The second or third Sunday that we're here, we were here, there was, uh, oh boy, Phil, you're treading on, you're really going to be stepping toes here. There was an afternoon meeting after church, or maybe it was an evening church, church service, and we learned what the finances were and how things had kind of taken a dive financially and how uh, somebody had to be laid off because the money wasn't there, and I'm thinking to myself, this, this isn't right. This, this isn't right. And you know what I've discovered in, in church ministry, and this is true of any, any ministry, is that 90, 99% of the time when, when a church is hurting financially and when we're looking for money to come from somewhere, you know where the money is? It's in your pockets. It's just the reality. And I, man, I, I hope with all of my heart that, that, that what I've said to you today will, that, that God will give to you not a mad heart, but that God will give to you a sensitive heart and an open heart that will lead to an open pocketbook. And that you will begin to experience the joy of giving. There's one last point that I want to make on this and then I'm going to wrap it up. And that is that giving is to be properly administered. Giving is to be properly administered. There's privacy in your giving. What you give is between you and the Lord. There's nobody in this church that's going to come up to you and point the finger at you and say, oh, we're not going to post what you give. We're not going to try to guilt you into giving. Um, I want you to know that there's privacy in giving and there's also great discretion and integrity 
in the handling of the gifts and the distribution of the gifts that you put in the offering plate. Look at verse 3. When I arrive, I will give letters of introduction. He's talking about when he gets to Jerusalem. I will give letters, or to, to Corinth, excuse me. I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Notice that the guys or gals, whoever it was, that was going to be carrying the money from Corinth to Jerusalem were going to be approved by them, not self-appointed, not just one, but several who would be carrying the money. Notice also in 2 Corinthians, and this is a fairly long passage, but it's on the screen. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 16 through 21, Paul says, I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you, for Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. Notice this closely. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we have, are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. Paul wanted to make sure that there was no ground for suspicion. Let me tell you that in this church, uh, I don't know whether they call it this, I would call it this, they have a rule of two. Two or more people count money, the persons who receive the money and the persons who disperse the money by way of writing the check are different people. When an offering is taken, there are always two people who go to put it in the safe. The money is stored in the safe until it is counted, and when it is taken out of the safe, it takes two people to open the safe because there are two keys, two locks, as far as I know, there is never any money that is taken out of the offering like after church when somebody comes and says, oh, I need this or I need that for this ministry or that. There's no handing out of cash. There is a paper trail. There is a computer trail. There is a regular month reporting, and there is an annual report and an annual audit, and your monies, really the Lord's monies that you give back to him, are taken care of in a very proper way so that there is no ground for suspicion. Mary Ellen and I have practiced this for our whole, for our whole married life. We started out doing it when we were in a little church in Danville, Illinois and hardly making peanuts. But we gave one peanut out of ten to the Lord. I don't just preach this, we practice it. I don't say that to hold myself up, to say I'm better than anybody else, or look at me. I say it because I've just benefited from it, from the Lord in so many different ways. He has never, never, never let us down. Amen. Never. 
We love doing it. We love doing it. There is a joy in giving, and there is a joy after we've given in terms of the peace and the help and the just what God gives to us. I am not talking prosperity theology. I am not talking like some of these hucksters do. You give me $10 and the Lord will give you 100 I want to say to some of those guys, well, I'll tell you what, you give me $10 and the Lord will give you 100 <laughs> It's not a response to gimmicks. It's not an emotional appeal. It's just God will bless you. Maybe not in, in material ways, but God will bless you. And I encourage you to be generous givers. I have one last verse to put up. Here it is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. I'm going to read it first, and then I want you to read it with me. See that you excel in this grace of giving. You ready? Read it with me. Nice and loud. I want to hear you. See that you excel in this grace of giving. You can grow in this area. You say 10%, that's daunting. Start with 2%. Next month, raise it to 3. Go to 4. Go to 5. Just, you can't outgive the Lord. You can excel in this. I don't care what your income is. You can do this. With practice, you can get better. You can learn to give more. You can learn to give more often. You can learn to give strategically. And you can learn to give with enormous generosity. We're going to sing a song as we close. I found the story behind this song very interesting. The name of the song is I'd Rather Have Jesus. It was a song written by Ray Miller with a tune written by George Beverly Shea. For those of you who don't remember what happened in the last century, this is the guy that traveled all over the world with Billy Graham. He was a singer. This poem that he wrote was written in 1922. Or excuse me, the poem that was written was written in 1922. It was written by George Bev Shea's mother. It was left on the piano in the Shea home by George's mother, Bev Shea, who wanted her son to find it and change the course of his life. The words, I'd rather have Jesus, moved George so much and spoke to him about his own aims and ambitions in life. He sat down at the piano and began singing them with a tune that seemed to fit the words. Shay's mom heard him singing it and asked him to sing it at church the next Sunday. George Beverly Shay's life direction did change. He was offered a popular music career with NBC. But a few years later, 
chose to become associated with evangelist Billy Graham and sang this hymn around the world. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Let's stand together and sing. Jesus and silver gold I'd rather be his than have riches untold I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's transway. I'd rather have Jesus than This world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than man's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. He's fairer than lilies of from out the cold. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything 
this world affords today. Let's sing that chorus one more time. Then to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than Bow your heads and close your eyes. What's God saying to you today? What is God saying to you today? Right now. Will you listen to him? He wants what's best for you. Lord Jesus, um, give me an open heart. Give all of us in this church an open heart to what you want to communicate to us, to what you're saying to us right now. And help us all to learn the joy of abundant giving. The joy of giving hilariously. We bless you. We thank you for giving us the greatest gift anyone could ever give. And we pray that you would help us to learn to be generous givers. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a wonderful day.